Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Real Estate Podcast, the intersection between the latest trends in real estate and its impact on our everyday lives. We're your hosts, Alex Norman. And Jamie Blonde, and you've come to the right location. The real estate starts now. In today's episode, Jails Next Door, we explore the intersection between real estate and how jails add value to the communities that embrace them. Today's guest is Maraika Lopez, a corrections analyst, planner, and researcher with an extensive education and background as a penologist and criminologist. Maraika is an authority on correction matters with a deep understanding of correctional facility operations, functional, and architectural programming. Maraika holds a master's in criminal justice from Rutgers and a master's in criminology and a doctorate in law in criminal justice and corrections from Universidad Autónoma de Barcelona, where she is from. Maraika, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, Maraika. Hi, guys. Uh, thank you so much for having me. So, Maraika, tell us a bit about yourself. Well, your introduction was great, uh, and I don't know how much else I can add, but uh, just to tell you a little bit uh, more about myself. So I was born and raised in Barcelona, where uh, most of uh, my education and training in law and criminology comes from, always with a focus on uh, correction. So upon completing my uh, PhD, I uh, moved to the United States in 2004 to finalize my studies. And uh, the reason why I decided to stay is because the first time that I visited a prison facility in the United States, it was uh, it was shocking. There was uh, chaos around. There was like people yelling right and left, uh, dirty everywhere. People banging heads on the door. So I think that uh, I believe that I needed to stay uh, to know, you know, to improve uh, the conditions and to do something about it. So since then, that was like 18 years ago. I stay. I never left, and I became a corrections planner and programmer. So here I am. Well, welcome. Welcome to the show and to America, Monica. Um, before we start, it probably would help to uh, open with a brief history of imprisonment in the United States. And imprisonment began to replace other forms of criminal punishment just before the American Revolution. Uh, through, though incarceration efforts had been ongoing in England since <laughs> as early as the 1500s, and prisons in the form of dungeons, actually, and various detention facilities had existed as early as the first sovereign states in the U.S. Uh, it is also uh, important to note that the use of confinement and as a punishment in itself was originally seen as a more humane alternative to capital punishment, of course. As a result, prison building efforts in the United States uh, came in three major waves. And the first began during the Jacksonian era and led to the widespread use of imprisonment and rehabilitative labor as a, as a primary penalty for most crimes. The second began after the Civil War and gained momentum during the Progressive Era, bringing a number of new mechanisms such as parole, probation, and indeterminate sentencing into the mainstream of America, uh, the American penal practice. Finally, um, since early 1970s, the United States has engaged in a historically unprecedented expansion of its imprisonment systems that are that, at both the federal and state level, which brings us, of course, to the show today. So, Monica, you know, before uh, helping us understand why we were seeing a recent explosion in jails being built in prisons, can you, can you, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into this fascinating field? I mean, I, you know, I loved your quote, for example, uh, you know, taking away someone's liberty 
is probably one of the most serious things we can do in anyone's life. The whole philosophy of incarceration should be to use that opportunity of in custody time to allow people to change their lives. I mean, that's a powerful statement. Tell us a bit more about that and, and your, your feelings and, and, and approach to this space. Sure, Alex, and uh, thank you. But just to be fair, I cannot take uh, full ownership of my own quote, at least not of the first half of the quote, because in fact, this is me quoting or recording my grandfather. Since uh, growing up, this is something that uh, he will always uh, tell me and remind me quite often. So this is something that I do not go in life uh, telling to strangers like you, but I guess that uh, today I am going to make an exception and I'm going to reveal to the world that I'm the granddaughter of a formerly incarcerated person. So I guess that the, the reason why I'm saying this is because certainly being uh, the experiencing uh, the incarceration of a loved one explains all my educational background why I do what I do as a way of living and why I'm so passionate about prison reform and the humanization of prisons. Well, that makes a lot of sense. You know, that, that is really uh, how a lot of people approach doing good or, or, or contributing to society is usually because of something that affected them, especially when you look at disease, people whose families are affected by cancer maybe become very strong at helping to raise funds for cancer, helping to raise funds for hospitals, children when we're sick, people, then you then you want to go help children who are sick in other areas. That allows that passion to grow in you from your experience of your grandfather. So that makes complete sense. And that's probably why you're good at what you do. I hope so. <laughs> so, so Monica, tell us why the recent explosion in, in the development of jails and prisons in the United States. Well, as uh, you said, and as you mentioned, if you look uh, back in history, in the 80s and the 90s, there was like a, a boom in the construction of prisons. And this is because there was a boom in uh, the prison population. So because of uh, several laws, implementation of, uh, of regulations, uh, this uh, boom led to us having to incarcerate not thousands of hundreds, but the millions of people that we are incarcerating today. So as a result, the United States was uh, forced to build fast, sometimes to build cheap, but to build like very large. So like uh, uh, fortunately in the last uh, 10 years the trend has uh, started to change so for the last 10 years we have seen an overall decrease in the number of incarcerated people however when you said that uh, yeah more uh, more uh, prisons are being built i want to clarify that yes we are building more prisons but the reason why building more prisons is to replace old facilities. So we are building prisons not to expand the overall bed space capacity of the system, but we are just building more prisons to replace very old ones that were never intended to function the way that a modern prison of uh, nowadays is uh, intended to work and, uh, and operate. So we have to bring things up to standards and sometimes we even try to do so with very old infrastructure but at the end of the day sometimes it's more expensive trying to retrofit renovate and revamp all facilities than just building new so 
this is an important thing to keep in mind. We're building more, but to replace, not to add capacity. Okay, well, that opens up two questions. First is, you know, the question around what we're building and what is a new, better prison, number one, but then also where those facilities are being built, uh, you know, and, that, and there's been a lot of um, discussion, particularly in New York, around the closure of some larger, well-known mm -hmm. facilities, and then that, and then that's not being replaced in the same location, but actually being relocated uh, into into communities, which I think you know, has a lot of um, communities uh, debating about, right? Both for and against. So, can you first talk a little bit about what are the improvements? that you're seeing in, in the prisons that what what's what's new now versus you know whatever they whenever they <laughs> prisons were originally built can you can you kind of walk us through that before you go into kind of the location yes and now all starts with uh, what is the mission of the new facilities because we always said as planners that uh, the mission drives operations and the operations drive the so the mission is shifting. So culturally, we are uh, at a point in history where we are moving from uh, strict punishment to rehabilitation. So obviously, in this regard, the traditional facilities of the past are obsolete in the sense that uh, it was uh, mostly everything. The focus was on confining the offender, on controlling, you know. So right now is rehabilitation. And if we want to rehabilitate, we need to provide people access to a variety of meaningful and purposely activities and uh, spaces where they can go to be treated, receive kind or you know so that what requires is to adding into those facilities more than just housing so in the past since the facilities were intended to basically warehouse bodies most of the facility was taken by housing so the housing units but right now because everything the focus is on rehabilitation in addition to the housing you have all these additional spaces that you have to create so you have to create spaces for visitation you have to create like a school buildings you have to create like vocational you have to create prison industries blah 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 so on one side that means that the square footage of the building keeps increasing and at the same time, when I said we are closing facilities and we are consolidating, we are also like uh, building big bed space capacity. So we are talking about facilities of uh, thousands of beds, you know, between 1,000 to 4,000. So all of these requires a lot of square footage. All of this requires a lot of space. And that's why it's so difficult to see this type of facility it is in an urban setting because obviously the land is not available so what is dictating that we locate uh, these facilities remote is that because the land is available in there imagine how difficult it will be in the middle of uh, manhattan to find like uh, three acres of available land and this is the minimum at the same time a prison requires a horizontal construction and what i mean by horizontal construction is uh, for instance imagine like a campus college where you have like uh, different buildings organized in a campus setting they are standalone and uh, it is expected that there's going to be movement of people in and out of those buildings throughout the day so this uh, 
requires again land so by virtue of the of uh, their nature jails are a little bit different so yes jails can be built vertically which means that you can have a uh, jails that uh, have the, the the high like of a skyscraper and uh, they have like multiple floors for in your so in your case jamie you have an example downtown in miami with the county date detention center and for you alex since you are in new york it will be like i don't know the manhattan uh, county uh, the manhattan detention center that is yeah, more, more like more like my 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 co-op building basically yes yeah, so so yeah in in with jails <laughs> it's possible to build them vertically and that's why we can have them in the cities and in fact historically if you go back to look to the history of prisons originally all those correctional facilities were built in the middle in the core of a city because they were also connected to a courthouse so it's not something new it has always been case it's just that when the boom happened and exploded and we had to build mega mega prisons those mega prisons cannot be located in a city or in a suburban area well it's true what you say about they used to be in town i mean every western the jail was the sheriff's office and the jail was right on main street because there was only one street and it was called main street and everything you could walk right by the jail but when i think of prisons and i and you talk about these big massive prisons when i think of prisons either historically or in movies or tv i always think of them in isolated areas like rikers island or alcatraz or these you know there was a movie with sylvester stallone where the prison was a ship that never sees a port you know um i i always thought that part of that was for the security reasons the safety reasons in case of a breakout or anything like that i, I not to mention the cost of the real estate and the size of the facility um but wh why was they why why were they always looking for these isolated areas i mean didn't napoleon go to prison on an island as well i mean why was it always in these isolated areas in the past i guess there is some of uh of the theory of uh, out of mind, out of sight. No, sorry. <laughs> there is a theory out of sight, <laughs> out of, sight, out of, of mind. mind. So, you know, yeah, in in, in uh, UK, they were sending them like to Australia and things like that because uh, people were, people that uh, exhibit like uh, the vegan behavior, they were not considered like a uh, normal citizens or regular citizens. So they were sent away. But again, in modern times, they sent away because of, of how big we're building those facilities. So it's not the same to follow the European model where the maximum side of facilities is like uh, 500 beds or at the most thousand compared to America when the smaller facility that you can build is thousand by virtue of how many people are incarcerated by again so again right now yeah we believe in rehabilitation but we don't have the land to keep them closer to home unless we start like uh, cutting the number of people that have to be accommodated in those uh, facilities so I, 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 yeah. I have an idea why don't we just um, turn Manhattan uh, into one large prison Carvey snake <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I didn't have the Duke, you know, run, run things. Everyone left to their own devices. And I think it's important to note that there's a difference between actually a jail and a prison, right? I think, you know, we always, sometimes people interchange the two words, but to be specific, a jail uh, can be used to be describe a place for those awaiting trial um, versus prisons mm -hmm. or people who have already been convicted, right? So they, so there's a big difference. Now, what you mentioned earlier, the fact that the, that 
jails can be built vertically, which means that jails can then be the building next door. Exactly. You know, and I, I think when people start thinking about where they want to live, um, thinking about the, the property value and the potential property value of their communities, uh, when when you see a, a jail being built next door, you, you kind of question whether or not things are going to go well for you in the future, right? I mean, what, what are some of the ways in which these um, either 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 the builders of of, j of jails or the, um, the the politicians? How are they languaging to communities to make communities feel better about these built these buildings being built, you know, next to it? Okay, so first uh, let me tell you that uh, I guess that uh, opposing a jail project, it's going to be always like a natural reaction among some uh, residents, but I don't think it's much different than building affordable housing or bringing like a shelter or building a detox and rehabilitation center into a residential neighborhood, you know. There is always some kind of uh, stigmatization that goes around a little bit of uh, people that, that do not conform to norm or that have issues. So I think that nowadays the not in my backyard uh, applies to a plurality of buildings, not just like a, a jail uh, a jail facility. But at the same time, by uh, having facilities now in the community, we always said that the jail should make a good neighbor and it should fit within the surrounding community. And uh, always as uh, part of the process of planning a new facility, what we do is always we explore with our clients different design styles during the design uh, phase depending on the type of buildings that already exist around the area so sometimes we try to i don't know if we you will see that the facility in Brooklyn, the new facility that replaces all the detention center, is going to look similar. It's going to incorporate a lot of glass and be similar to the surrounding buildings. Now, at the same time, in neglected neighborhoods, doing something that uh, sometimes is a little bit shocking and out of place can help also to revitalize the neighborhood and send a message about what is, what is it possible and how things could be looked differently but for the better so this is what we are suggesting now for the new facility in baltimore city that is going to replace the old detention center so this is going to be a very modern facility that uh, from the first day people will say oh my god this is like a, a taj mahal that you just put in the middle of nowhere but by putting this taj mahal in the middle of nowhere what we showing is like what is possible and what you should be aspire as a citizen to potentially have so in terms of acceptance in the neighborhood it's very important that those those buildings are not threatening so what you will see in the new facilities is that there are barely signs of barbed wire and all these fences from the past because sometimes now the technique is that the building envelope per se is uh, is uh, providing the security level or acting as secure perimeter so you're not gonna see the typical things that you will see in the past and what you will see is uh, uh, um, a facility that uh, like any other civic building or courthouse it's uh, friendly it's welcoming and uh, it looks like uh, inviting and it has uh, it's uh, it's good to the eye you know it has a softened softer 
features than in the past. Well, all that makes very clear sense, obviously, in the same way that if you lived in a community, you wouldn't want a sewage plant or a power plant or anything else coming up in your neighborhood. But then if they made it a beautiful architectural building that, that seamlessly fit into the surroundings or it beautified, it made things more beautiful than, where, than before, like you say, in an abandoned area, then of course that changes the dynamic. You mentioned a, a, a big issue a prisons in community is the, the, the physical plant, you know, on the horizontal building and it seems very expensive from a real estate point of view. In terms of jails themselves, which you can build vertically, what about the other areas that need to support a jail, whether it's climate control, electricity, sewage, security control, uh, traffic control, noise control? How, how, how are those challenges embraced by the new, the new jail facility design to, to reduce that impact on the community? You know, Jamie, for me, it's like uh, building any other type of facility that it's intended to operate 24-7. So let's imagine like a hospital, no? because as we see today, the jails are, they are being asked to treat the mentally ill, to treat those that have like severe um, medical issues. So at the end of the day, even we are now changing the name of the jail. We don't refer to these facilities anymore as detention center. Usually it's like a therapeutic treatment centers, rehabilitation centers, as to start teaching that things are evolving and you know, and that we need to help people because at the end of the day, they are coming with very complex issues of abuse and, and uh, trauma. So. It's of advantage when you put like facilities in the middle of communities because the infrastructure is already there in terms of providing like electricity or bringing uh, water. The problem of locating them remote in remote locations is sometimes it's farmland and this does not exist in there. So there is a lot of cost associated in preparing the land when you make them isolated, which is a cost that does not exist when the facility is already sited in a community that has all of this. So in the past, uh, yeah, the, the lighting, for instance, of uh, that goes around the secure perimeter of the facilities that you know, you know perfectly, it almost looks like an airport right now. It's like light everywhere. And you know, that something is like going on in there like a stadium. So even, even the light has changed, like uh, the studies of how how the light can be used, kind of how it can be dim at nighttime, even like the 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 window. So you don't use anymore. We don't use bars, but in the past, people will say, you know, I don't want to walk on the streets and look up and see like all the the people, the residents of those facilities, like making signs or sending things. So even that, like like the location, strategic location of the cells facing whatever, facing the streets, or even the angles in which you. We, we create those windows. I mean, you will never know passing by that you are looking at a correctional facility. So obviously the light will help with that. And, uh, and uh, you know, everything helps. But again, a very important thing also that goes into where locating the facility is uh, site acquisition. And uh, you know, when we talk about, I mean, I'm not an expert, but by sitting with the architects and always being part of uh, discussions about budget, in addition to the cost of construction, there is always a, a cost added in acquiring land. So usually, 
ultimately what we end up doing is like locating facilities in land that already belongs to the government so that also limits where you can place those uh, facilities and in fact the project to close Rikers and uh, move those uh, the, the, the population into the boroughs is because each of the identified boroughs already has a facility. In some of them, the facility is functioning, in others is not. But in any case, what we are doing is replacing on-site because that will reduce considerably the cost of acquiring uh, land. So, so that, that's fascinating. I mean, earlier though, you mentioned as we were talking about the design, the windows, you did mention the fact that no barbed wire. I mean, I feel like I feel like barbed wire was necessary for you know people jumping over the fences, but I guess that's that doesn't happen really anymore. I mean, what are the ways that like how do you prevent people from jumping over the fences and or how do you place how do you avoid using barbed wire? I mean, what's the solution? They got rid of all the ladders that helped dramatically. <laughs> no, as I said. As I said, if a facility is in the middle of a, of a city, like the Thumbs in Manhattan, in the middle of Chinatown, you don't even know where the jail is because it's you don't even know, unless you know. And uh, by virtue of the location, it's walled. So there are buildings touching wall to wall. So in this case, as I said, the, the the building itself the perimeter of the building is the secure perimeter you don't need any fence because there is nothing else the only fence is in the roof so that people don't jump from the roof where the outdoor recreation usually goes so sometimes you'll see fences around the sally ports that's where the vehicle the, the vehicles that are transporting people in and out of the facility come by but now what we're doing is like enclosing those uh, sally ports so when one door opens the, the vehicle goes in the door closes and it's almost like all contained so you don't see that in the city and in those instances where you need to place a fence and sometimes it's not to protect it's more to protect people from the inside not being attacked from the outside because i've heard that a lot of times the, the use of fences or the typology of fences has also evolved tremendously to make uh, to make them look more friendlier and more normative. So we rely a lot on parabolic fences that will look almost like the same that the same fences that you see like behind where you play like the, the baseball, the pitcher, whatever. It's a little bit inclined. So it's the same kind of fence, but a little bit like higher but unfortunately because of the use of drones and a lot of uh, you know technology has helped for a lot of things but not for others and we encounter situations in what like people were using a lot of uh, drones to introduce contraband or they were like uh, so what we had to revert for instance into the golf net I don't know if you ever play golf, but it's like very high net. So whatever it's out there that uh, helps to soften. Keeping drones out. That never even occurred to me to even think of something like that. But all, all I think about when you're in the city of Manhattan, anyone who's lived in the city and sleeps in Manhattan knows you get used to the the alarms and the sirens. You know what everything is. Oh, what is that? What is that? Don't worry. That's a fire truck. It's four blocks away. Well, what was that? That's a police car. That's on the other side of the building. Don't not to worry about. Now I got to worry. What is that? That's a prison break. But don't worry. They got this netting. So we're all safe. <laughs> someone's got to get you your pack of smokes. I mean, <laughs> and believe me, they do, and they 
find find ways no matter what you do. So if that was the case, and if we were to build for the worst case scenario, always in mind, we will be building fortresses. But that's not the way to go. So believe me, there are like countries around the world that to face the issue of the drones, and they were training like birds to kill those drones. So, you know, we have that as we go, but then the objective is not real uh, fortresses and always like thinking with the worst case scenario in mind. So. I, I, I love I love how deep this, um, the, how deeply you and, and your organizations that you work with and the whole community around, around this is just thinking about solving these problems. Um, so question, are there just going to be more? I mean, you mentioned the replacement. There's not, there's, there's no new development necessarily. They're just kind of replacing existing buildings. But of course, so we're going to see A, more of that. And B, what happens to Rikers and the places that actually are being abandoned? Are they going to be turned into parks for okay. citizens and communities? Yeah. Like what happens? Condos. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the Rikers... <laughs> The Rikers project is a little bit uh, tricky. So, you know, you know that there was a time in uh, in history where Rikers had a population of 20,000 inmates or residents. So as for the last month, the population in Rikers had been lowered to something just over 5,000 people. And the intention is that as a result of this project, the population is going to go down lower 4,000. So this is all, I don't, I mean, I don't want to call it a magic number. I don't know who people came to that number, but obviously the population, the number, the ultimate size keeps shrinking because there is just so much that you can feed in the middle of the city. So for instance, when we started this project planning these new facilities, I believe that the capacity of each facility was supposed to be around 2000 beds. So when we did the blocking and stacking, we were talking about facilities that will take, will necessitate like 15 floors. Imagine what is it to operate a 15 floor jail. So the commitment was the only way we can shrink these buildings is like by lowering the number of people that we have to accommodate in there. Now, a lot of initiatives, I mean, it's not just the jail that needs to change. A lot of things need to be changed. A lot of initiatives need to be put in place to divert people that do not belong to jail. So it was helpful that COVID happened because uh, a lot of facilities had to stop taking people. So there was a mandate that, uh, no, we're not accepting more people and these people need to be released or a different placement needs to be found. At the same time, other things have changed like bail reform that uh, have helped to reduce the population. But the Rikers Island projects, in, in order to, clo to close Rikers Island, there is a commitment, a serious commitment that needs to be made to cap this population at no more than 4,000 beds. So at some point, the politicians, this is to what they committed, and at some point, the judges, the district attorneys, and every else in the criminal justice system will have to find ways to manage the jail population. Now, I don't think, honestly, if you ask me, 
it will be very risky to just abandon Rikers because if something happens again, because you know, district attorneys change, so whoever now favors rehabilitation in the future and in light of everything that is happening in New York, like how violent crimes is spiking, how crime is spiking, they're gonna ask for additional space. So I don't think that Rikers Island will be closed immediately. Most probably it will remain open for years to be used as overflow if the circumstances change. Okay, so I won't put down my deposit on the condo just yet. Maraika, this is such an interesting topic and you're right in the middle of it and Rikers is a living example of what's going on in the space right now, which our listeners will be able to follow uh, and pay attention to. Is there any place else our listeners can go uh, to get more information on this topic if they're interested in, in uh, after having listened to you uh, discuss uh, the topic with us today? So I will look at the website of the Vera Institute, the sentencing project, and maybe the blogs of the Penal Reform International. Excellent. Well, listen, Maraika, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, what an interesting, informative, and important topic, uh, both to cities and to people. And uh, we look forward to following what's going on at Rikers and, and to, to following your success. And I just want to highlight to our listeners, if you're interested in jail design, we have a, episode 64 with our guest Aaron Persky to discuss further the, that topic. Thank you very much, Manika. This was extraordinarily insightful. I love your passion on the topic, and I hope to see, um, I'd love to see the results of your work in a community near me. Thank you. I appreciate it. You've been listening to The Real Estate Podcast. Give us a quick review and rating on iTunes. Check out our website at therealestate.co and let us know if there are any new topics you'd like to hear us address. We love hearing your feedback. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.